This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Um, a big thank you to Dan McGanty. Uh, he's been um, in your ears uh, over summer with God Mode, um, doing a great job. Does anyone know, is God Mode like a game reference? Is that like a setting? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm being thick about this. You'll have, to, you'll have to explain it to me. Well, you enter God Mode in certain games, they'll let you enter that mode and you can do flyovers and see parts of the game that you Shoot wouldn't normally everything. be able to see. Oh, yeah. that's a flight thing? Yeah. Well, okay. No, just metaphorically. Yeah, extra powers. You've got your, your oh. omnipresent. You can you yeah. know, do things that you might not be able to. Oh. You can, it's like Mario yeah. and the White o- Overalls, right? Well, so yeah. depending on the style of game, it mm. will do different things. Mm. So in a Mario platformer, it might make you invincible. But in um, a, a game where you build things like civilization, you might be able to fly over and see things that you couldn't otherwise see. Oh, amazing. Mm. Yeah, it's basically cheating. Great choice of name, Dan. Uh, we're super excited to be back uh, on air for the year. It's been ages. Uh, we've missed your emails, your tweets, uh, your calls after the show with complex conversations about IT. Um, <laughs> tonight on the show, we have Vanessa Toholka. Uh, Vanessa, have you had a good summer? How have you been? It's been brilliant. I've got to say minimal tech, maximal beach time. Mm, nice one. Did you hit the beach as well? I, I absolutely did. It's great to be back. Uh, yeah, just re- rediscovered water. Water. <laughs> and and it, let's be honest here. What did you really rediscover? Fishing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, are you uh, like a bait fisherman, a fly fisherman? No, we were using soft plastic lures fisherman. actually. But, but I think that's that's a radio marinara. We're not on a Sunday morning, so uh, let, let's stick with the tech, I think. <laughs> Tonight on the show, uh, Victoria is a pretty fair place uh, to launch a new tech idea. Uh, RMIT University is getting behind this with a big investment in our brightest sparks uh, through RMIT Activator. Um, apparently, it's the largest uh, free entrepreneurship, uh, mentorship and training program in the country, um, I'm led to believe. And apparently, um, 500 plus students uh, have already applied for it with some uh, good ideas. So, um, it's going gangbusters. And we'll be talking with Renzo Scaccio, uh, director of the program, in a few minutes. Um, also, we have been at PauseFest uh, in Melbourne today, or, or I managed to get along for a little while, um, but Byte was there. Um, it's built as a festival for uh, creative tech and business. And this year, the theme is journey equals destination, which I haven't quite got my head around yet, but maybe uh, head of programming, uh, Andrew Ranger, uh, can shed some light on that and uh, tell us a little bit about what went on on day one and also what's coming up. Um, it looks like it's doing really well this year. Um, it's it certainly good. does. The lineup's incredible and uh, I've been following the hashtag today and I think they managed to out-trend Elon Musk's news in uh, in uh, Twitter trends, so that was great. The, Na- the NASA um, presenter will be happy about that, yeah. um, so that's great. <laughs> Um, so we'll be joined by Andrew uh, a little bit later in the show. But uh, before we get to those things, um, there is a bit of news uh, making its way around the internet, um, hopefully freely. Um, Dan, Indeed. Look, what's going on? Well, look, it's um, a, a bit of news from the tyre fire that is the United States uh, political uh, scheme or scam. Mm. Um, the US Federal Communications Commission, who are, who are basically the... Uh, chieftains and uh, gatekeepers for all things tech and internet and various communications devices and technologies have um, voted to repeal a a big bit of uh, legislation from 2015 uh, around net neutrality. Now, for those who aren't familiar with the concept of net neutrality, um, we do talk about it a lot on the show, but as a refresher, it's essentially um, a a concept whereby internet service providers can't... uh, pick and choose who they allow you to access on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's kind of been an unspoken rule since, you know, the 
uh, inception of the internet that everything should be freely available. But uh, increasingly, the more powerful internet service providers, particularly in the US, but in other countries, and there has been talk of it here in Australia, um, have wanted to restrict uh, who you can access and basically uh, get money out of it. So, for example, um, Verizon in the US might have a uh, an agreement with Facebook whereby they their money changes hands and you can get Facebook quicker or uh, through Verizon than you would through other internet service providers. Now, in 2015, under the Obama administration, net neutrality, which prevented things like that from happening, um, was enshrined in uh, regulation and legislation. And uh, as of last week, I believe um, that has been... Oh, no, sorry, December, my, my mistake. That's um, That's been uh, ditched, uh, which is a big win for um, companies like AT&T, Comcast and Verizon, not as big a win for the... Uh, I suppose content creators, uh, Google and Alphabet, have come out against it. Facebook as well, and it's it's a it's a bit of a kick in the teeth for consumers because uh, why it's it you know it's going to restrict the uh, access that they have to various um, bits and pieces across the net. No real indication as to how this might uh, pan out in Australia. I mean, we we're always having this discussion, particularly uh, with people on the show. But guys, mm. how do you think it's going to turn out, and what what are your thoughts on this? It just sets a very bad precedent. Mm. Uh, I'm hoping that it doesn't last that long and that once we start to see the bad effects that um, there'll be some even stronger arguments against this policy. However, one of the problems with that is that um, the negative effects really lack transparency. So it is going to take a fair bit of work to um, analyse how it's slowing down people's access and how that's you know, really having a cost. What it does is entrench people who are already in a market and that's something that is just in principle very bad for innovation. Mm. And that's whether it's musical innovation, artistic or, you know, techs. Generally, the startup community in Silicon Valley is massively against net neutrality and um, that's a really strong sign. Mm. Well, keep an eye on it all through the year. Um, that is a, a big story and um, deeply concerning. Um, something that's also concerning is how uh, effective uh, SpaceX is at um, putting things into space and bringing them back down. Um, if you were on Twitter this morning, uh, it was pretty much the only thing you saw, um, a couple of uh, rockets touching back down. Uh, SpaceX have uh, successfully um, uh, launched and uh, landed um, rockets dubbed as the Falcon Heavy. Um, it's basically, uh, I think it's... Like, I'm not a rocket expert, but it's it's like a it's a it's a it's sort of like a payload rocket. Like how much can we lift and take off? Mm. It's um, a lot bigger than some of the uh, commercial competitors that they have. And uh, I guess the great thing about what they're trying to do is to to land it as well, so it becomes reusable and, and very feasible. Mm. So. Um, if you can look it up, um, the footage of the two rockets landing is um, Lock, it, it, rock, rockets landing. Rockets landing. <laughs> of the two rockets landing is is um, is quite nice. Mm. Um, if you if you can't find that, you can look up the footage of the flamethrowers that Elon Musk was selling a couple of weeks ago. You could do that as well. I, I also I, recommend reading Colonel Hadfield, the astronauts. Um, commentary on the efforts in this space which has mm -hmm. been really insightful yeah I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced every day that the world is turning slowly into elon musk's personal plaything pretty much yeah. um so you'd be interested and perhaps concerned to know about his plans for the bfr i'm very concerned is, about all his plans which is a very large rocket um <laughs> the big friendly big, rocket. big friendly rocket the big friendly rocket um so yeah Onto bigger and better things. Um, this is the one that's going to kind of get us out of um, our local neighbourhood. But Dan, you are concerned, and, and I think you need to tell us why. Well, I, I, I've 
said this numerous times over, you know, the last 6 to 12 to 18 months that this cult of Elon Musk seems to be... No one seems to be critically appraising the things that he's doing. Everyone is looking at I all this disagree. stuff. No, you don't, you don't reckon? Yeah, I mean, we had some really strong voices come out about AI and how we should be looking at that from the Australian um, market. And, you know, we had Professor Toby Walsh um, talking very clearly about mm. where he thought some risks were and things. And, and I think there's a lot of academics um, speaking truth to visionariness or whatever you want to call it. Absolutely. There are <laughs> academics, but no one's listening to the academics. I, I don't think so. I think that people just enjoy the story of Elon mm. Musk and it's it's a larger-than-life character story. Yeah. However... When he becomes our massive overlord and we have to toil away in the Tesla factory. I mean, factory. it's a caricature and I think people are realistic about some of these <laughs> okay, things. Okay, all yeah. right. Well, look, I'm... I'm He's I'm had gonna... a fair bit of bad press too. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I'm just going to... I'm going to maintain my somewhat unhealthy scepticism. That's 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 why we pay you nothing, <laughs> um, and, and I'll be grateful for it. <laughs> um, but in good news, uh, Melbourne also has uh, oh, continuing a, a similar theme um, to um, what we're talking about a little bit later. Um, we've got our first blockchain incubator, Vanessa. Yeah, that's so um, there's been a blockchain centre in Melbourne operating since 2014. And it's been a home to over 20 startups um, mm. s specifically working in that blockchain space. However, in January this year, they did announce that um, they're going to be setting up the Blockchain Centre, which is a global not-for-profit knowledge hub and co-working space for blockchain and cryptocurrency technologies. I mean, anyone who had some conversations about where you're putting your money over Christmas lunch this year probably mm. had someone bring up blockchain and cryptocurrencies mm -hmm. in some way. I know mm. that... That happened in my family as well. And um, it is very hot right now. So what this centre is proposing is a 10-week program which is seeking out some disruptive businesses and will facilitate their collaboration with um, some mentors and uh, business leaders to help guide them with their experience. So you're talking people like Lee Travers, who's the CXO of... Uh, uh, sorry, the CEO of Digital X, Jonathan Ross, who's the founding director of Coinstop, Paul McKenzie, the COO of ACX. So there's, you know... Uh, Ashatan from Coinjar. Uh, so there are some big players in this space already in Australia and this is helping to connect, you know, fledgling companies with experienced people. So that's that's good news. Indeed. Uh, Block Engine, I think is the, is that the name. That's great. I like that. Mm. As opposed to Engine Block? Yeah, or um, uh, what did I say before? Launching... Rocking locket launching, locket launching. You may have heard earlier on. Uh, we are uh, very excited to have uh, in the studio uh, the uh, well, um, Renzo Scaccio of RMIT Activator. Um, RMIT Activator is the university's startup ecosystem for mentoring and supporting student and alumni startups. Uh, there's a lot of people already excited and involved. Renzo joins us in the studio tonight. Great to be here. Thanks very much. Did you ever have a startup idea? Oh, I probably had lots of ideas. Did they ever start up? I'm not sure. Actually, no, I did. I did. I tell a lie. Um, so I fidget a lot, which you'll probably see as I'm in the studio with you. <laughs> mm. And I thought, oh, geez, I wish I could work out how can I play my own music, you know, without having to listen to different stations and channel flick while you drive. I think that turned into sort of, you know, a streaming service. <laughs> so before my time. Somebody owes you money somewhere. That's never going to happen. No. <laughs> yeah, there's no money in music. No, no, no. But um, you're having a, a, perhaps a, an even greater influence over um, uh, startups now. Um, 
What can you tell us about the activator? Why is it uh, a good thing for RMIT? Sure. So, so I suppose a good thing is it actually plays to who we are, plays to our DNA. So you know, even when I went through university and all my mates came to RMIT, everyone came to RMIT to get a job. Mm. And, you know, those that, that's still the play. Um, you know, our strategy is called Ready for Life and Work. And so mm. that's what the activator aims to do. Well, we're kind of technically an RMIT startup. Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Yes. Yes. The your, your history. So so really, what um, what we're aiming to do is to to recognise a couple of things. The whole uh, you know digital disruptions here and everything's changing, but we've got a huge student population who actually want to work for themselves, whether it's straight away or you know down the track. So how do we kind of bring all that together? Well, that's how we created the activator. So, Renzo, the no-fee program is mm-hmm. its really innovative, that approach for universities. What was behind the decision-making to offer a free entrepreneurship program? I'm not sure we ever thought about charging for it because yeah. I'm not sure that's really what we want to do. Yeah. So, so the activator stands alongside what you study. So it doesn't really matter what you study. Uh, we want to provide you with a whole range of practice-based experiences where we can give you that entrepreneurial mindset and a lot of work-ready skills. So we are just talking a bit off air before, you know, we've got 87,000 students. Um, we're not really going to turn them all into fully-fledged entrepreneurs. So, you know, I think Elon's safe today. Um, <laughs> but they all do need to think entrepreneurially. They need that mindset. They need those skills. So it's about sitting alongside what you study. Absolutely, we're going to start companies. That's where we've always done that. So we've got a fully-fledged accelerator program, and if you want to start a company, you can do it within the Activator too. Kind of goes all the way back to the history of, like, the Working Persons College. Very much so. so. Yeah, yeah. So the nice thing when I get to talk about it, and you'll probably hear I'm pretty passionate about it, I don't have to make it up. Because it is our DNA. It's so it's an evolution. We've always done this. We've always taught very practical, you know, study. Now it's practice-based experiences that sit alongside, mm. but we're just turbocharging it. So tell us more about the detail of the program. Your site talks about stages of a journey, and um, you've named all these phases with yep. the curiosity and discovery and exploration and pursuit and then evolution. Yep. So how do you begin to assess participants and, and place you know their readiness to participate in stages of the program? Sure. So you know it's awesome to be able to just sort of have them you know come to us and go. I, I think I want to learn some things. For some of them, is I'm not quite sure what it is. So great, we've got a whole range of um, you know simple entry points. Come and meet some entrepreneurs, and it's great to have our own alumni to do that. So they can kind of hear the journey because a lot of that discussion will be, yeah, I was where you were, you know, five years ago, ten years ago, three years ago. So this is what I've gone through. Um, we're kind of going to stream it a little bit more simply this year, to be honest. So there's a whole range of things you can learn about entrepreneurship and surprise, surprise, we're going to call that Activate or Learn. Um, so you'll you'll get work-ready skills. Uh, you can come in and learn how to build your LinkedIn profile, how to create a social media strategy, um, how to negotiate. But then we'll take you through things like, well, how do I create an idea? How would I find if there's a market for that idea? How would I go and build a team? How might I pitch for it? So it's quite practical practical in that sense. Um, the other end is the startup program, and everyone tends to focus on the startups, which is pretty cool. Um, and we've got 50 startups from a standing start, so that's that's kind of pretty nice. Um, and that's going to be in our Activator Learn uh, launch, um, you know, stream. What we found in the 12 months since we've been up and running is there's a pretty big gap for a student in particular between I've got an idea and I'm ready to start a business. So what we're going to do this year is is launch 
um, a whole range of new experiences. And I keep calling them experiences because that's what they are. So this is not a for credit program. You don't sit in a classroom. So we'll do hackathons, we'll do another boot camp, and we'll create a whole new platform where you can learn to prototype. Take your idea, test it in a market, learn what works well, bank that what doesn't work well, come back in and do it again. So so that's that's the practice-based element of it. Mm-hmm. So really we just ask the students, so what's your interest? Uh, where do you want to go? And we want to progress them down sort of into various things. The other thing I'll say is we're also open to alumni. So it's not just for our students. Um, and we're also going to try to put that entrepreneurial lens into our research teams as well. So. It's a bit of a big remit, but it's fun. I've still got my student card. I'm going to be knocking on your door. <laughs> I'll tell you, give you, uh, well, you, you know my email address, so I'll be, I'll be waiting out for you. <laughs> so one of the challenges for people who have ideas in the space mm. is often um, connecting them with, with some other people who can help them execute. Yep. Do you do any of that speed dating style connection making? Um, well, there's a couple of ways we're doing it. So we've got our startup teams and, you know, typically they have pretty clear technical areas of focus. So we've got, say, let's say engineering teams where they won't have marketing people or they won't have creatives or they won't have, you know, business. So we want to start to bring particularly students in to work with them. And that kind of does two things. Gives the startup skills they don't have. It also gives our students some pretty awesome work experience. So the vision is you come to RMIT, you do your degree, you come into Actor, you get a range of experiences and you could leave with pick a number. 5, 10, 15, 20 work experiences that you can actually say, well, I've done some coding or I've done a value proposition for all kinds of startups. So that's one way we'll build it. Over time, we'll try to build more, um, you know, more multidisciplinary teams as well. So I understand you're looking to have a physical presence for this as well. I think there's been something um, created in the city, but also at Bandura and some other places. What's the presence of the Sure. Activator? So, yes, we have a physical presence. Um, very lucky we've got something like, I think, about 1,300 square metres. Mm. So I've managed to nick four floors of oh, the nice. university. I think, I think they've noticed, um, but we do have a lot of land, so a lot of buildings. So, uh, look, it's pretty awesome. We're going to create part of it as a student space. We want a space where students can drop in and own the space, and that's part of community. Mm. Uh, we've got some really wonderful workshop and event spaces, and then we've got two floors joined together, which is our accelerator space. Mm. We will this year um, start to sort of have a physical presence out at uh, Brunswick. We're a fashion mm. and textile students, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to be great for them. Also do some things out of Bandura. Uh, we literally this afternoon was on the phone to our education partner in Singapore. So we'll launch the activator in Singapore as well, mm. where we've got, I think, six or 7,000 students. It's interesting what you said uh, right back at the start about how not everyone wants to work for somebody. Does this affect your relationship with industry and um, how does industry see this? No, not at all. So, um, you know, we've got some really, you know, fantastic industry partners and, you know, some of them are really big employers and 10 years ago they'd have said, sure, we want great graduates and, you know, this is the career path and this is, you know, they expect to stay for five or 10 years. Those conversations are changing. You know, it's if we get them for two years, you know, we understand that. So so they're getting close to us for a whole range of reasons. They want to see the best students and they're seeing them in a different environment. And if we can teach them this entrepreneurial mindset where a student can say, look, I had an idea for a startup, but it didn't work. Well, why is that? I couldn't find a market big enough or I couldn't commercialise it. Um, I couldn't monetise it or 
it just wasn't going to make enough money. They're the conversations that those big companies are still wanting to hear. They're just not hearing it in a, in a formal uh, recruitment interview. So, so they're quite happy to get involved with us and, and we're thrilled to have them alongside too. Mm. So I've recently been looking at uh, some of the reporting coming out of the World Economic Forum mm-hmm. in, in Davos and um, or Davos. <laughs> we want to be authentic. Yeah, Who's and, Davos? and they were talking about some of the trends coming out, and and that's you know about as high end as you can go mm-hmm. worldwide trends. And they were looking at AI really dominating. Mm-hmm. Um, another was the blockchain. Another was the the search for talent and the skills gaps. Yep. And the final one that they identified was really. Um, where technology might be replacing workers in the workforce mm-hmm. and how we're going to cope with that. Now, Renzo, you're at the coalface. So from your end, in the in the details, what trends are you seeing come through? Is it the same or is there, you know, is it really different? Yeah, no, they are. And so, you know, obviously a lot of people sort of run undercover and go, you know, all these jobs are going to disappear. But we've always had these industrial revolutions. So you know, to get jargony, we're kind of in the fourth industrial revolution. So so I suppose there's a couple of things. One, that that's where that entrepreneurial mindset really kicks in because you need to think creatively and business-wise. But it's also about resilience because your job will change. So you might have, you know, 10 or 20 different careers. But I think it's also embracing some of that technology. So I had an awesome discussion with some of our partners today around augmented reality and virtual reality. And so, you know, we're doing some fantastic things within the university. So I think you just sort of embrace it um, and look at that disruption and look for those opportunities. So you're at the part of the university that is really being innovative and trying different things. Um, however, the university model of, you know, courses that cost thousands of mm. dollars and are maybe going to be out, out or just, you know, not so relevant for people's quicker than they used to be. Um, do you think that the universities are starting to grapple with the challenges to their model that this these changes are going to bring? I think they all recognise that you need more. So I'd like to think that all my academic colleagues are also very innovative if you're listening out there. Um, <laughs> so so I think, you know, as I say, it sits alongside. So it won't be either or. And that's the <coughs> nice thing is I think it's about... Um, you know, if I'm studying engineering, how do I learn how to pitch? How do I learn to create an idea and storyboard it out? Stuff that I may not necessarily be exposed to. So the nice thing when I look about the higher ed sector in Australia, a lot of universities are getting into incubators and accelerators. Mm. And I think part of it is that changing landscape. How do we add that sort of sharpness to the education experience? Mm. But they're also actually... Um, responding to what their students want, which is gives these extra skills. Yeah. And and to be clear, I mean, I have tremendous respect for, you know, a, a broad-based education and see the value in that. I just don't see economically how people are going to be able to afford to spend so much on degrees and maybe take so long to complete them. I wonder if this is going to, you know, the, the real shift to lifelong learning is, is happening in our oh, lifetime. I think it is about lifelong learning. So yeah. that's a nice thing, you know, our, our strategy is about ready for life and work all the time. So if I look at our startups, 55% of our startups are alumni. You know, of all shapes and sizes and ages, you know, some have graduated two years out, some graduated, you know, maybe in the, you know, 20 years out. So it's not necessarily just when you're studying your undergrad. It could be your postgrad or it could be, you know, sort of somewhere down the track. Why why do you think they come back to um, RMIT? Is it kind of, you know, apple doesn't fall far from the tree or like, what is it? Look, I think there's an element of that. Um, One of the absolute wonderful bits about my job is when I do get to explain this to people and particularly alumni, 
you know, the 100% reaction is, oh, my God, I wish this had been here when I studied, so mm. how can I get involved? Mm. I think you also catch them at a stage of life where, you know, they've had some work experience, they've got some wherewithal, they're kind of taking that risk of, well, I do have an idea, I do want to start my own business, so we're open for business for them. People do tend to think of a, a startup person as like some some young folks in hoodies kind of, you know, smashing it those. out. <laughs> you, got, you got those. But I mean, there but we are... we got lots of others who look very different. Yeah. I, I, I was reading a particular profile where it's um, people who've kind of spent 10, 20 years in a professional career, have got some skills, don't want to do that for another 10, 15 years and decide to kind of roll the dice. So, you know, people in their late 30s, mm-hmm. um, got a bit more courage or mm-hmm. like a bit of fear of getting yeah. old on, in somebody else's Yeah, look, mouth. very much so. There is no doubt that, you know, there, there's a cohort that wants to take that managed risk. Um, the thing that I like and, you know, when I think about, you know, already 7,000 students and it's kind of a bit easy to pigeonhole them. So absolutely we've got, you know, our first years, but we've also got, you know, down to, you know, third year, fourth year, post-grads. Uh, one thing I always learn is never to underestimate their appetite you know, their appetite for change, for risk and for great ideas. So, mm. you know, I don't think you can ever, and I know it's easy to generalise, but, mm. but you know, when I look at the students involved, whether it's in a startup program or other mm. things, they, uh, they come in all shapes and sizes, which is great. I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask for a prediction of what you think three startups that are floating around are that are going to be your first unicorn. First unicorn? Oh, jeez, now I'm, now I'm under pressure. How about hugely successful? <laughs> um, You'll have to throw out all those T-shirts that you've been given. Yeah, I know. If you pick one. Uh, we've got an ag tech, an ag tech startup that I think is doing some pretty interesting things. So really looking at, um, uh, you know, great technology and farm management. I've got to be a bit careful. There's sort of too much no, what of I course. say. Yeah. Um, so that's one. We've got, and, you know, this is the farm nice book. thing. It's called Farm it, Book, isn't it? Exactly. It, yeah. it plays to, um, you know, the things that we're really good at. So uh, we've got one team um, creating a visual novel. So I think Japanese anime for a Western audience and just the mm. quality of what they're developing is, is awesome. Mm. I mean, one of our one of our startups that um, successfully launched is called Romney um, and we did a big launch with Apple and so they've built a travel app on the Apple um platform and mm. they're just going great guns so mm. i'll put my money on those to start uh we'll have to stay in touch and uh it sounds like with such a, a big um, footprint with what you guys are doing we'll we'll hear more during the year but um thanks very much for coming on the show and, and telling us a little bit about it fantastic thanks for inviting me thanks Spencer. another great thing uh pause fest uh is on in melbourne at the moment it's running for the next few days it is uh you may know uh, a festival at the intersection of creativity, uh, business and tech. Um, and we are now joined in the studio by PauseFest Head of Programming, uh, Andrew Ranger. Uh, Andrew, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Have you been enjoying the first day? Uh, it's, look, it's been a great time. It's uh, been quite hectic, uh, as you can imagine, but uh, it's all going very smoothly. The uh, event team have done an amazing job and, uh, you know, George uh, George Heaton, the founder of Paul's Fest, who's been doing it for eight years, has really, you know, uh, shown his true colours and uh, pulled together an amazing group of people. Mm. I guess it's all probably a, just a bit of a relief, really, that the lights came on and people turned up and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a relief when the tickets were selling and mm. uh, and when we sold out, I think there was a time when we all sort of pelped a little champagne cork, but mm. uh, that was a slow, uh, uh, short-lived opportunity because then we have to realise we have to actually uh, make it happen. So uh, and now the team are doing an amazing job of that. Mm. And what, what does a head of programming do for someone who's interested in festivals and this kind of thing? Yeah, so I, I jumped on uh, with Paul's Fest about four years ago uh, and uh, the idea that I was going to advise them on sort of like, you know, some some 
various industry that I could link them in with. Uh, I stayed with them and uh, and then one day I was like, you know what, the most important part of a festival is actually the things that they have going on. Mm. And so this year I said, I'm going to put my hand up, put a little bit of extra work in and we had an amazing team of programmers and these are these are all, they're, they're all from different areas of business. Some of them work in startups, some of them work in sort of government, some of them work in um, incubators and they, we all sat around and we said, hey, let's get the best possible group of people we can and mm. one that will make sure that everyone is happy. How do you strike the balance between on paper, that looks amazing, like we all know these great tech brands or business names and so forth, and getting someone to deliver an amazing presentation on the day? Yeah, look, that is hard. We have, we have the general rule is it has to be either interesting, informative, or bloody fun. <laughs> and as long as it's bloody fun and interesting, yeah. like I'm, I'm okay with that. So do they, do they pitch it to you? Do you all like get out the Skype and like lay it on me? Like what are you trying to sell here? Or so say, we know? get about 2,000 applications every mm. year. And so they're people that have their ideas of something they want to talk about. So they send through a, um, a summary of it, uh, maybe maybe even you know a couple of examples. And uh, we sit down as a programming team over about seven or eight weeks and we go through every single one of them. We make sure that we hit... um, important themes and we make sure that we hit uh, a balance between uh, everything from gender to uh, making sure that we have like an inclusive environment and that uh, that we've got things from science background things from a mathematical background and things from like a creative and technology background so let's jump a bit into those themes for the year what are you really um, streaming your content as this year so we looked at what we looked at what will be important to people in a year or two. Mm-hmm. So what's important to people right now, I mean, you've got a lot of, we, we have a lot of themes around um, the blockchain and around Bitcoin and around, um, you know, whether or not that is a fraud. And we came up with this this sort of theme around, is Bitcoin a, f- a fraud? And we did this a year ago. Now. In that, within that year, that it all could have collapsed. We didn't know, and we thought, look, we, we're going to take a hunt. We're going to well, take a set of the pants stuff. It's it's gone both ways in that time, I'm sure. And I, in fact, I think it's actually become more interesting because mm. Bitcoin and uh, and you know the blockchain in general has become something that everyone wants to debate. You know, mm. even my dad's talking to me about Bitcoin. I just mm. can't believe that. Mm. Uh, so that's a big that's a big topic. AI is also another big one, and we know that's going to be around for a long time. So we try to get things on the inflection point of when they're going to become really mainstream, but mm. not too early and not. Too too late. Mm. It's important to get it on the Gantner hype chart in just yeah, the right spot. Right. <laughs> exactly. Just beyond the trough of disillusionment. <laughs> my, my festivals of things that have finally started working um, <laughs> hasn't been very popular, but we'll figure it out. So half of the art of a festival is not just getting great speakers, which you certainly have, and we'll cover a bit more of that in a moment, but also designing really interesting spaces for people to, to interactive ideas rather than just sitting passively in lecture theatres. Uh, one thing that really caught my eye was how you'd created a think tank. Could you tell us a bit about that? You're in partnership with IBM for... um for this think tank. Yeah, so IBM, um, and, and look, thank you to IBM and, and, and all the other sponsors. I mean, uh, Ren, Renzo's um, uh, RMIT uh, Activator is a big sponsor of Pause. So without them, we just couldn't make it happen. And IBM have, have created a, a think tank area where they have uh, a range of speakers that they think are going to appeal to Pause, um, Pause people. And, and anyone from the mem- any member of the public can also go there and see this. So it's like a value add, uh, not only to Pause people to buy tickets and, uh, and Pause veterans but also just to members of the public who just happen to come and join so they've got like a range of speakers that fit with various themes and that's how it works oh cool cool um and some of the massive names that you've managed to pull out are people like guy kawasaki who i hear spoke um today 
Can you tell us a little bit about that session, which I was unable to attend, unfortunately? Okay. I, I loved Guy Kawasaki. He was definitely my favourite from the day. He So his his um, topic was the top 10 mistakes of entrepreneurs. And uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I've got my own like startup, but he really nailed it. So the top four that he sort of gave to me was focus on the size of the pie. So don't focus on how big your slice of your, your, your business may be, but focus on growing your entire business into a billion dollar business and then you'll get sort of, you know, you'll, you'll reap the rewards in the end. Um, don't build pit decks, build prototypes. He's like, don't send me a PowerPoint. Don't send me a keynote. Send me a product that's working or at least looks like it's working. Oh, I like that mm-hmm. advice. That's really powerful. Uh, and the other one was like calculate from the bottom up. So everyone sort of talks about, oh, if we only get 1% of the entire Chinese market, well, getting 1% of any market is actually quite hard. Yeah. <laughs> so he said, reverse, reverse engineer that. <laughs> Like look at it and go, how many people can you sign up in a week? How many how many friends, you know, how many friends can you tell about it? How many people will hear about this product? Then you do your calculations based on that. So calculate from the bottom up. You get that all the time where people go, in the next two years we're gonna get that and you're like, well, hang on, but what about all that other stuff? Like that's really important. Yeah. I mean you could do it right now. You could say the the entire transport industry is uh, you know, a trillion dollar industry in Australia and we think that we can get one percent, therefore our business is valued at, you know, one billion dollars, you know, two billion dollars. Yeah. Uh, and the other one was don't scale too fast. So this this was the best for me. It's like no business has ever died because it couldn't scale. He said businesses die because they scale too early. They, they burn too much capital, they burn too much income, and that's why they die. Mm. That's and, a piece of advice mm. we hear a bit here. People take on too many employees too fast um, and even not being able to deal with HR ramifications can just really crush a small idea. Absolutely. Mm. And uh, I think uh, what, he, what he said was the, the quote was, um, eat what you can kill. <laughs> so don't plan a banquet uh, for a moose that you haven't hunted. Or, or Gee, it's mm. nice to hear nose to tail dining coming to a tech <laughs> festival. Finally, my two loves combined. Yeah. Nice. Um, I, I got along and saw some of them. I um, saw the Netflix one. I saw uh, Amazon. Um, she was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the head of um, design research. Um, she was incredible. Saw the the Vault conversation. Um, do you, Do you feel this year's any different to previous years in terms of the um, the way you present work and so forth? Yeah. So we sat down um, early last year and we said, look, let's let's review. Pause is in its eighth year now. Let's review how it all works. So. In traditional years, the pause has been, you know, standard uh, keynotes, 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 and then group workshops and all this sort of stuff. And it was really, it worked really well. Right. And we said, look, what can we do to sort of take this to the next level? So we said, let's do, at the start of the day, let's do a group activity. We get everyone involved, we get everyone sort of on the floor, sort of talking to each other. So they went through a range of sort of business ideation sort of uh, stuff where they sort of sat next to each other, uh, talked to the person next to them and said, you know, this is the business I want to start up. This is the business I want to start up. And bang, you sort of create these collisions and you create um, these opportunities for people to connect and have energy together. Mm. That was the first start of it. The next one was we did a um, a talk show. So uh, Michael Dixon, who's a, a, a very, very good presenter. I don't know if you know him, but he, he did a talk show where basically we had five people up on stage all sort of like ramming on. They didn't know each other and he just ran the whole place and did sort of mm-hmm. everything from top 10 questions to a band singing to making people do robot dances. So we really wanted to get that energy up at the start of the day. Then everyone sort of breaks off 
into various sort of workshops and there's sort of other activities they can do. We open up on the other stages. We have specialist stages. We have like local hero stages. And so it's an area where people can go, all right, I have an interest in that specific topic. I will mm. go to that specific stage. Mm. And then we like, all right, we want to bring everyone back to the stage, the main global stage, because that's the place where people sort of disappear from at the end of the day. So we said, all right, how about we have a vault session? This is a single panel session that's not able to be like broadcast. We turn off all the cameras. We say, do not do not share this on social media. You're not allowed to talk. You're not allowed to tell anyone what they've said here. And we have like real brand leaders talking about real problems they may have and actually like honesty and authenticity. Mm. It can get exhausting having keynote after keynote where you like, you know, bring you up and inspire you and sort of destroy your world and then change that. I had, I'd be interested in uh, all of your points of view on this as well. You know, when you get a panel and the um, chemistry isn't there and it's like the last five minutes are the best five minutes, the person I went with today said, it'd be great if you could have the warm up conversation out the back and then they come out and just have an amazing <laughs> conversation where everyone's like riffing off each other. Um, it's hard though, isn't it, to, to get people working. Yeah, like, Tommy did a good job of kind of getting it kind of going, but then there was a lot of kind of, here's my experience and I'm relaying stuff that I've put in my blog and put in my PR and all of that. You get a lot of the same stories that come out and then it all starts to collide and come together in a beautiful way and that works. Yeah. Look, I the, the thing that I really wanted to avoid this year and I think everyone wanted to avoid was that yes conversation. Mm. And that's when you're on a panel and someone says, oh, I think we all need to be um, good to each other. And then they pass the mic to the next person and the next person says, I think we all need to be good to each other. Yeah, I agree with that. But I agree, mm. I agree. And everyone just agrees with each other. So mm. we really wanted to sort of get people on panels that would disagree with each mm. other. We try and stage mm. as many fights here as we can. Absolutely. We're going to throw down straight after this one. Yeah. Um, in the spirit of that, I mean, in worldwide tech conversations at the moment, you've, it's a really interesting moment. You've got heads of companies, of social media companies saying, we might have misjudged the effect that we were going to have on the world and rethinking things like tech addiction. Uh, and there's also a lot of talk about, you know, corporate social responsibility and, you know, how people are looking after their employees. In the case of Amazon, you know, they're doing some amazing things, but they've also got workers on food stamps. And so there's a conversation about about this sort of disparity. Are you seeing um, some of those trends come through in the Q&A panels? I mean, obviously, it's very hard for a guest like someone from Amazon to then speak to an entire company policy. But, you know, are you starting to get some glimmers of, of those sentiments? Look, we, we try to tackle some of the big subjects. So we do tackle diversity a lot. I think there's about three or four um, uh, keynotes uh, that just talk about diversity and, like, how important it is. And, in fact, um, Guy Kawasaki said that the most important thing to have in your business is a diverse group of people. If you're a white 30-year-old founder and you go and find another white 30-year-old male founder, then are you going to have a diverse business? Are you going to have a lot of things that sort of... Or are you, you going to have more yes conversations? I guess you've already drawn attention to that. Create an echo chamber. Yeah. You know, everyone sits there and sort of tells each other how good they are, but it doesn't mean that you get good metrics. It doesn't mean you have good income. Mm. Also, for the rest of the festival, there's a, a few more days. Um, what are the highlights, do you think? All right. Well, obviously, anything that I'm hosting is, <laughs> yeah, is the highlight. Great. So please come to those. Uh, well, I'll just do my own plug. I'm, I'm interviewing <laughs> a few people. I'm interviewing uh, Greta Van Reel, who's a really good um, serial entrepreneur. Uh, she's got 16 million Instagram followers across a number of accounts. She's fantastic. Uh, interviewing the, the founders of Frank Body as well. 
Um, so good, good, uh, good, good talks there about how to use social networks to actually, um, you know, create businesses, not just to promote yourself. Um, they're fantastic. Tomorrow we have NASA talking. We have Marissa Rosenberg. She's she's a gem. She she her job is to when an, when an astronaut lands, she sits there and says, "How healthy are you?" and does tests on them, like basically a sobriety test to see how like cognition. What's their cognition like? Are they healthy? Uh, are they able to wow. sort of walk? Whoa. Then she reverse engineers it and says, all right, we're going to put you through a virtual reality simulator and we're going to put electrodes on your brain just on the back of your cortex on your, and, and it will make you dizzy and will make you like a drunk person and you can't move correctly. And they do this as like a pre-training. So just like you go to the gym before you go and lift weights, she puts people through, this is how you're going to feel when you get back from space. Uh, she's she's a, a great, that is that's stunning epic. work. Yeah. yeah, that's that's really captivating. She also really loves Australia. She's like just arrived and she's like, I love you, Aussies. You guys are the best. Oh my god, be nice to her, people. <laughs> we could we could poach some talent from the states. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got TechCrunch. We've got Mike Butcher, who's the editor in large of TechCrunch. He's talking. He's doing some fireside chats. Um, and uh, thank you to TechCrunch for all of the amazing news that you throw our way. <laughs> Uh, we've got uh, Tim Fung, the founder of Airtasker, um, who, you know, I, had, I should probably thank for helping uh, manage all the uh, removalists in my life. <laughs> uh, we've got, all the uh, IKEA furniture builds. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Good we've got um, uh, Shruti, who's the, uh, the editor, um, the, sorry, she's the uh, uh, entrepreneur in residence at the Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, so Shruti mm. Shah, she's amazing. So she's going to be talking about what's it like to sort of run a big bank in a, you know, a hub of investment and a hub of activity for startups. Um, and yeah, we're having some de- fantastic debates. We've got a big debate tomorrow, which is around is Bitcoin a fraud? Um, I think I probably find think out tomorrow. Is. Yeah, find out there. tomorrow. So for those who can't be there, what should they be following on Twitter? Look, follow Pause Fest on Twitter. Follow it on Instagram. There's two Facebook. hashtags. I was very confused. Uh, it's two hashtags because people do different hashtags. And we're like, oh, I'm gonna have to have two. You know. I was, I was doing both. Yeah. Well, anyway, I guess you kind of say you're part of the problem, Warren. <laughs> <laughs> you know, pause fest the hashtag is the one that like most people use, but then everyone does pause fest eighteen, and so you're like, well, we're gonna have to have two hashtags here. Well, we've just used pause twenty eighteen to throw a little bit weird into this. Ah, yeah, good, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Get down there. Um, where can people go to get? We well, can't get tickets, but check out the schedule and find out the free stuff and the sideshows and the mm. celebrations. Get the yeah. Think tank. Yeah, look, so we are sold out, yeah. uh, but it is in Fed Square and and we do have a whole bunch of startups there uh, that are exhibiting as well. And that's all free. Everyone can go there. It's in the atrium at Fed Square, my favourite place in Melbourne. And uh, you can uh, go there, you can talk to startups, you can probably get a job, you could probably you know, pitch them your wares. There's a whole bunch of things. So Get down there. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Uh, there are a few tidbits uh, we wanted to throw out there uh, before we do go. Um, if you uh, follow the history of the railgun, um, you'll be pleased to know that um, it isn't just you and they're not dead and China has been working on this. So in munitions news, uh, it looks like China has a giant ship-mounted railgun, which when I read this, I was terrified because if you've ever seen demos of how these things work and basically projectiles via magnets at high speed, this thing is terrifying. There's a, a picture of a ship. Uh, it doesn't say where. Uh, my Chinese is not so good. But it's as big <laughs> as a house 
and the barrel is as big as a car. Um, so it's, I don't know. I, I kind of feel this should affect our policy in the South China Sea. <laughs> and um, if anyone's listening out there, China's a great place. See, uh, whenever someone says railgun, I think they're saying ray gun, and I get a lot more terrified. Oh yeah, well, being hit by something that's really quite heavy probably will be do worse than just like a laser in my face. But like, well, you know, did you get any sun over summer? Like it's pretty I bad out there. Like it's, sun over we summer. live under a ray gun. This is a very good point. But this is this is a railgun. Um, <laughs> I have no idea about that. <laughs> um, what do you have an idea about? I do have an idea about a new chat app, which is uh, called Die With Me. And it's not as grim as it sounds, I promise. This is very grim, very grim sounding. But emo. what it is about is the power that you have left in your phone. And so it's a little, it's an art project that's kind of making fun of the fact that even when you're super addicted to your phone and using it to the last little inch of battery life, you still want to yeah. chat with your friends and um, what they've decided to do is make a really light app that's paid that can only be used for chatting when your phone and the person you're communicating with are both at 5% or less battery life. So it's oh, a bit wow. of a game. It's, it's, it's a bit of, it's one of those things where you're trying to out battery each other. It's like, oh, this is how, this is how much I've been working. I'm down to 5% and I'm messaging you. So I know you're on the same page. It's a really odd thing, but I think it's a very creative art project and it says something about our behaviours lately and how addicted we are to tech. And and it kind of brings that question of if you only had 5% of battery left for the rest of your life, who Who would you you message? message? (laughs) I saw saw Anthony Carew come past just there. You, Salmon, you. (laughs) I'm taking you to the grave, Vanessa. This is what's happening. (laughs) Nice. Um, There was another thing around a uh, a bit of NASA news, um, Dan. Oh, yes. Is that true? So uh, a lost NASA satellite has been found um, by a... an amateur astronomer. So the Zuma oh. satellite um, uh, was lost, well, went offline in 2005. Um, but, oh, no, sorry, my mistake. He was in, so he was searching for the lost Zuma satellite and he spotted the image satellite, which went offline in 2005. Um, it's uh, it's kind of a nice story. It, 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 they were switching it off at... And so, like they knew it wasn't, they knew. Yeah. Um, but in in the end, uh, he he could be he could be found, and it's uh, I, I'm trying. It's just sweet, this like article. amateur astronomy. Yeah. You know, does good oh, and man. does something that that NASA's lost track of, yeah, which no, is rare. Uh, totally, I'm I'm definitely getting my amateur astronomy back on uh, reasonably <laughs> soon after the the blood moon last blood week. Moon. Yeah, no, I'm pulling out the uh, the old telescope. Pulling out the rail guns. In the, <laughs> the, so long as they're not ray guns. Um, I might uh, quickly mention uh, the web meetup, which is happening uh, next Tuesday, the 13th of February, and every second Tuesday for the remainder of the year. I'm assuming that's every second Tuesday of the month. Um, this edi- this edition next week is for people interested in development, uh, discussing service workers with Phil Nash, and a case study with web meetup favourite Peter Wilson shows us how free open source software can be used with great success in this replatforming of a major media website. Sounds pretty good. It does. So um, you, you <laughs> I, th- I think we've been bite into it for the first show of the year. We have. Uh, thanks to our guest Renzo and to Andrew. Uh, thank you all to, uh, as well uh, for listening. Uh, we've been bite. We'll be back next week. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.